Welcome to Ranch Girl Rants Podcast, where a couple of cowgirls talk about pretty much everything. Social issues, current events, true crime cases, ranch living, and we even delve into the hunt for Bigfoot. This podcast may contain strong language and is suitable for mature audiences. Well, hello there, and here's another episode of Ranch Girl Rants. All right, Denise, when I was rolling up into your driveway today, I saw a little love note from PG&E on your gate. <laughs> I know nothing. You know not Were you hiding from them? I was peeking out from underneath my curtain with my binoculars, I watching knew- them, you know, the second notice. It's like, how many times does PG&E have to come on my property to look at one pole uh yeah it's a it's a little bone of contention around here on my street my neighbor's not happy and uh we're trying to comply but this is like the fourth or fifth time what do they want to do well they want to check the the you know the trees and the line there's only one you live in you live in a forest well not really per (laughs) se there are forests that you know make mine look like you know desert but no it's just they can look at they can look from the street and uh, they've been here three times on the property okay so um yeah we were out of electricity for a while and that just sucked three or four different occasions three or four days at a time yeah Um, you were out way more than me two of which i'm completely you know you know hey from where you sit you look outside if the wind's not blowing you don't know up north of you or wherever some other part of the uh county or another county could be blowing like hell and you don't know because it's a, it's been a strange wind patterns so yeah I mean I think it's legitimate to do that but I mean it's just I don't know I I, I don't even have to think about it anymore because it's it's nuts I, I went out and bought you know spent 900,000 bucks on a generator and a big 220 cord and because you know your well in the country if you run on a well it's a 30 amp 220 and you need uh to be able to have a generator that will power that and if you don't then it's all for naught because you need water up here and and then you know remote areas right we have one generator running the house and we had to take it down to the well house to run the water so alex is down at the well house with the generator i'm out there hustling filling up water buckets and then i have to hustle and go in the house and take a quick shower he's out at the well house the whole time babysitting this generator as this is going <laughs> oh, on and, and i'm like trying to hurry up and get the soap out of my hair and get back and i get on the phone i said okay i'm done you know he's like okay and then he brings the generator back oh, to the house nuts. and plugs everything back in oh, it was a freaking nightmare that's funny well speaking of you know all this is so fire related we have it we have a guest today yes and so um uh, this person i've known from um, uh, many, many, many years, like back in back in my like late teen years, my late teen days. <laughs> I mean, um, we go back a long way. And um, Chris is a is a fireman. He's been a fireman. God, I don't know. I'll let him tell how many years. It made a long, long, long time. And he's very versed in wildland fire and very versed in all of this stuff because a lot of his career was um, fighting wildland fire. So, without further ado, I'm going to introduce um, Chris Wykeen. How you doing, Chris? Well, good afternoon. Uh, I'm doing well, thank you. And um, tell us, where where do you live? Where, what part of the country are you in? Well, I'm currently in Northern California, just south of Redding, in a small town called Cottonwood. I'm uh, right outside the uh, city of Anderson. I'm just inside the uh, um, Tehama County line. I'm at the very northern end of Tehama County. Uh, just before you cross over into Shasta County, I'm in a little gated community called Lake California. Chris, tell us a little bit about your um, 
your fire uh, career? So, uh, so I'm third generation fire. My uh, my dad was in fire. My uh, grandfather was in fire. Both uh, with San Francisco, and uh, two of my uncles were also San Francisco fire. And so, you might say I was bitten by the bug uh, very early on, as far back as I can remember. Um, always wanted to uh, get into the fire service, and I pretty much started my career in uh, 1975 when I was still in high school. I was working for South San Francisco fire. Uh, working um, out of a fire station not far from my house and I was uh, driving around and I was painting uh, fire hydrants slapping yellow paint on their fire hydrants and that's how I got my start in the fire service when um, I had a friend that uh, that lived up here in Reading that was going to Shasta uh, College and he was enrolled in the fire tech program and he told me all about it so in uh, 19 uh, it had to be like 70 I want to say 75, I guess, 74, 75. I came up and I visited the area. I fell in love with uh, with Redding. And, but I was still in high school. I still lived in the Bay Area. I was in South San Francisco. And uh, I worked really hard to uh, get through high school. As soon as I graduated from high school, um, I moved up here to Redding. I went to Shasta College. That was in 1976. I, I, I immediately got a job with uh, Summit City Fire, which is now um, Shasta Lake City. And I, I worked there for a while. I was able to uh, go to college, put myself through uh, through college in, uh, what was it, probably 78 or so, 79. I think that's when I met Jan there at Shasta College. She was also a little fire brat. And um, <clears throat> that was uh, the beginning of a, uh, of a long-time friendship. Um, from from Summit City Fire, I went to work for the Forest Service for one season and then uh, went to work for uh, Memorial Hospital in Reading for three years working on their life support unit. And I realized that if I was ever going to get in the uh, fire service, I needed to go to paramedic school. So I left the uh, Northern California area in 1983. I moved back down to the Bay Area, uh, went to uh, paramedic school at Stanford, uh, graduated with top honors, started looking for a fire job because then I had my fire credentials. I, I had uh, graduated from the fire tech program at Shasta College and immediately got hired by uh, uh, the city of Novato. And I did my career with them, uh, started as a firefighter medic, and uh, 28 years later retired out um, as a uh, um, captain. I did uh, one year as a, as a BC, long-term fill, uh, running their training division. And uh, after I retired from Novato, I moved back up here to, uh, to Ama County. I found my place in um, Lake California. There was a small volunteer fire department here in the uh, compound, and I went up and joined the uh, volunteer uh, fire program, and uh, before long, I was the fire chief. And uh, now I'm the fire chief. I run the, uh, the program here at uh, um, Lake California, and uh, that essentially uh, takes me up to present day and, and where I'm at. And, and, of course, there's a lot of other stuff in between as well that uh, if you want to know, I'll, I'll, I'll fill you in on that. But uh, that essentially, in a nutshell, is, uh, is my career. So when you, when you ended up in uh, Lake California, that little fire department really didn't have much going on, I understand. And you're kind of a one-man dog and pony show for a while. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so it was an interesting uh, experience. Uh, so there was like a couple of volunteers 
Um, there was a fire chief there. They were kind of running the show. They weren't going on a lot of calls. Everybody, you know, they're family people. They're students. They're, they just have a lot of things going on in their lives. And uh, um, volunteer and be uh, available 100% of the time is really tough. Uh, for me, I was available a lot because I'm, I'm retired. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm home quite a bit. So anyway, um, I started, I got, uh, got into the volunteer program, jumped all the hoops and, uh, started running calls and I ended up running calls by myself, um, for quite some time. And, and, and then as this, uh, uh, venture evolved um, into becoming the uh, deputy fire chief and then and then the fire chief um, I reached out uh, to the um, the POA folks that the board members here that run Lake California and I asked them if I could be a, a part of their newsletter etc they were very happy to see that the fire department was up and running um, they gave me carte blanche uh, access to their their newsletter where I started writing an article every month and uh, my big goal was uh, recruitment and retainment um, and then once we got our volunteer uh, staff up, it was training and having a background in, in training from Novato, um, I was able to train up a, uh, a force of volunteers in, in pretty quick uh, time. And we are, we're currently at uh, a roster of 10. And three years ago was the first time that we were able to uh, get involved with the statewide mutual aid system and put an engine on the road and uh, become part of a uh, Tehama County strike team. And we traveled up and down the state of California and uh, we went out, uh, we went out of county uh, nine times, um, traveling from uh, one end of the state to the other. And it was the first time that uh, Lake California uh, has put an engine on the road in 18 years. So um, pretty proud of, uh, of the volunteers. Uh, I'm proud to be a part of the program and happy that uh, the uh, fire department is up and running again. And uh, uh, for all of my efforts, uh, my first year here um, with Lake California Fire, uh, Tehama County decided that uh, I was going to be named uh, Firefighter of the Year and uh, was awarded uh, that prestigious award um, at, a, uh, at a large dinner down in the city of Corning. And I was, uh, I was overwhelmed by, uh, by, by the, the award. Well, but, I'm, sh- uh, I'm sure you're very appreciated. I'm sure Lake California is very appreciative of you being there and starting that up. You had to go through some, some effort to do that, and I'm sure they really love you there with your fire department now where they didn't have anything, right? I mean, really. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we're, now, we're now handling uh, 99% of our calls. Um, we, uh, we're still going out of county. Our, our roster, like I said, is up to 12. I currently have four volunteers um, in the application process right now, and um, we're, uh, we're doing pretty well. Your little group got called to the campfire, and you have quite a story to tell. Which about is in that. Paradise, yeah, which, which is, is a disaster. In, yeah, the, the, the little town of Paradise that PG&E, you know, burned up. And um, anyway, you know, Chris's group was like, you know, they're on the uh, feet on the ground, like the very early stages of that. So, yeah, tell us, tell us how that all came about. You know, I, I, I'm up early in the morning. I'm I'm at the house. Uh, I'm having my coffee, and I, you know, as I have always done i have a radio here scanner i turn it on i'm listening to what's going on and i hear the initial dispatch for uh, the campfire 
and and I heard the initial report on conditions, and uh, the hair on the back of my head uh, stood up, and uh, I went, wow, um, that doesn't sound good at all. But it started progressing real, real fast, and so I immediately got on the phone and um, started calling our volunteers, started calling the other uh, county fire chiefs, and I said, uh, there's something big going on down there in Paradise. You better get uh, your people ready because I have a feeling we're going to be going on this. And um, I'm glad I started the ball rolling early on because we got the call at about, uh, I'm going to say probably about uh, 11 o'clock in the morning or so. And uh, we were on the road. We were on the road by 1 o'clock heading down toward uh, Paradise. We could see the column, and uh, I knew that it was going to be something of a lifetime uh, pretty good sized fire and the wind was howling. What was that? Do you know what that? What was that wind speed? What, what, that? what was the wind speed? About 70 miles an hour wow. blown down through uh, um, uh, Garbo uh, Gap. And, and you know that uh, Feather River Canyon kind of funnels the, uh, mm-hmm. the, the winds down and it increases uh, velocity. It's like putting your finger, uh, your thumb over the end of the garden hose, mm-hmm. you know, and what happens when you put your thumb over the end of the garden hose, the, the water, you know, gets really fast and, uh, flies, uh, really far. And that's essentially what the Feather River Canyon did to those winds. It funneled it and, uh, increased the uh, wind speed and the velocity. And of course, right at the bottom of the Canyon is where the fire started and, uh, Things got uh, really serious, uh, real ugly, really quick. And um, uh, that fire was off to the races, and there was nothing anybody was going to do about it. Uh, so uh, early early um, uh, recognition and getting resources on the road as quickly as possible was the key to success for that fire. So we rolled into, uh, we rolled into staging uh, probably around 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and there was fire all around the uh, staging area. We were at Butte College mm-hmm. um, off of Highway 99, uh, south of Chico. We only finally got our assignment, uh, and we weren't in staging very long, maybe 10, 15 minutes max. And uh, the poor staging area manager, he was running around like a chicken with his head cut off and gathering uh, resources and, and uh, putting them on the road. Um, and we were going to go in on Pence Road, and uh, we started to, uh, to, to go up uh, Pence Road, and Pence Road was cut off. There was power lines down, trees down, fire everywhere, and we had gone through the fire front. Um, and it went, and the, the hard part for me was when we went through that fire front, uh, there was houses everywhere, and I never saw one engine. And I said, you know, we could do um, a lot of good uh, right here, right now, mm-hmm. uh, for these houses. And the strike team leader, he held to his gun, and he and he he, um, he, he uh, wasn't going to let us uh, freelance, which is a good thing. And uh, me being a strike team leader, I probably wouldn't have done it either. But you know, at the back of my mind, I was like, man, we could do a lot of good right here, right now. But uh, our assignment was to go to downtown uh, Paradise and save the infrastructure. Mm. And we had to turn around, and we had to go all the way back down to 99, up 99, and get on the Skyway. 
and uh, now we're going against traffic. Everybody's trying to exit. We're trying to go in, and uh, again, uh, going up the Skyway, and we hit the fire front, and houses everywhere, and not an engine to be seen, wow. um, and that was kind of an ominous uh, feeling. And again, you know, it's like we could do a lot of good uh, right here, right now, um, saving a lot of structures, but that wasn't our uh, objective. Our objective was to get into downtown Paradise, save the infrastructure. So we made it into Paradise at about 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and it went from broad daylight to midnight um, in, uh, in the blink of an eye. And uh, that's where we, uh, we ended up staying for the next 36 hours was in downtown paradise, uh, just going from structure to structure and uh, trying to do the best we possibly could. And, uh, and we, you know, we saved a few businesses, but unfortunately a lot of the businesses were already on fire and they were beyond our control and our capabilities. And, uh, and the hard part was that when the power went down, the electric pumps went down and the water system went down. Mm-hmm. And so now we had to drive all the way down to Chico to get water wow. and and then go back up and I only carry 750 gallons of water on the engine but I remember going up the Skyway I saw a subdivision on the left hand side it was a, a relatively new subdivision and I thought to myself I'll bet you that subdivision has water they have to have water it's a new subdivision um, so on the way down the hill going to Chico to get water I whipped into that subdivision and there was a guy on a golf cart he came driving up to us and I said, do you guys have water? And he said, yeah, there's a hydrant right over here. So we went over and we hooked up to the hydrant and, sh- and uh, sure enough, the, uh, the hydrant was hot and we started filling with water. And I said, man, we just cut a fat hog in the ass. We, 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 cut our, we cut our travel time in half, you know, going all the way down to Chico. And we had a second engine coming down the hill. I radioed him really quick. And I said, whip in here, fellas. We got water. And, uh, and I talked to the, the guy on the golf cart and I said, are you prepared to leave? And he said, yes. And I said, good, because the fire is like maybe a half mile away at the most. And uh, he said, I, I'm aware of that. So we got our water and we went back and, you know, and every time we're going up and down, we have to go through the fire front. And the fire front uh, was pretty impressive. And we were getting some pretty good uh, fire whirls, um, uh, uh, for, for lack of a better term, mini tornadoes. Um, it wasn't a fire nado, but it was, they're, they're called fire whirls. And uh, fire whirls are, uh, indicate that uh, the atmosphere is very, very unstable. And uh, those fire whirls produce... Um, spot fires and we had spot fires everywhere and you know through the fire front and back into uh, downtown uh, paradise um which was literally living hell and it was so dark in there you had to have your headlights on you had to have your uh uh headlamps on it was pure darkness and as i tell people it was like uh being there at midnight that's how dark it was in downtown so at this point, Chris, when you were downtown, uh, were you still seeing people trying to evacuate, still people milling about, people on foot? I mean, at this point in stage in the game, was pretty much everybody out? Yeah, so uh, Cal Fire and the local government resources that got in there early on, you know, 7, 8, 9 o'clock in the morning, um, they their, their goal, their task, um, uh, their objectives were to get people out. And they weren't able to fight fire. They were trying to save lives and evacuate people. 
that was the main objective, save lives, get people out of there. And uh, they did a great job um, getting, you know, the bulk of the people out of there. And they were just overwhelmed um, with high winds, lots of fire, lots of people, um, and, and a lot of people just kind of vapor locked. Um, they didn't know what to do. They had the, the, the uh, deer in the headlight uh, yeah, syndrome, panic. and they had to get a hold of those folks and direct them, you know, go, go, go. And uh, so there weren't a lot of people in town when, uh, when I got up there. And, and those few people that were there, I believe they were um, mostly um, the uh, uh, media. And they were taking pictures and shooting video and doing that kind of stuff. Wow. So the, you were telling me um, that what you witnessed was a lot of pine needles. You said that a lot of these people weren't very fire prepared living in the living in pine country, that there was pine needles all, thick, over, thick floor of it all the over the roofs and gutters. and. Yeah. So, uh, you know, remember, we were up there in November. Uh, three days from now will be the uh, one year anniversary mm-hmm. and it's fall. And uh, when it's fall, you know, the needles are falling out of the trees and they have those uh, pine trees up there that have the really long needles. And, uh, and of course, those things kind of fall, you know, all the time. But fall is really um, the time of year when the needles are really starting to fall. And with the high winds, they're really blowing the needles out of the tree. Well, a lot of, a lot of places, um, they didn't keep up with the pine needles. And uh, there was pine needles piled up everywhere and i took pictures of uh, some of the roofs that you couldn't see what type of roof material was on the structure whether it be tile or composition or you know metal roof you had no idea because it was solid uh pine needles six eight inches deep um and i took a picture of that and that that was the that was probably the main um culprit to fire travel well i just heard this podcast about it was uh, it's uh, npr did a thing about tahoe like tahoe area and that's such a big bomb you know big bomb waiting to happen and people plant junipers and and as forester said junipers are like that's like gasoline those things are like bombs you know those things you you don't plant those around your house in the middle of a forest well and back and back to the gutters chris you were mentioning gutters so one thing that i think about and others need to think about you need to clean your gutters out because apparently you know with leaves or pine needles or whatnot it's just basically you're you're setting up a kindling trough, and so yep. when and spark hits that, and then and then all that material in your gutter just just catches on fire and just slow roasts your roof, right? I mean that yep. basically you've got a kindling going on in your gutters, um, so people need to clean out their gutters um, when after all the leaves have fallen and the pine needles have flown around, and of course rake the forest as they say. Well, and this but- fire <laughs> this fire was um, spark driven too right because the wind was blowing these what were you, yeah what were you told by what were you told was the source of the i mean i know what we've heard but what were you guys on the line what were you told what started that fire well i heard i heard the uh, the initial uh, dispatch and i heard that it, even the dispatcher said it that it appeared to be a uh, a pg e power pole that uh, um, that might have you know caused some sparks um, and I knew early on that it was probably going to be a PG&E uh, related um, start. And you guys, you guys didn't have spotty fires. It was just a wall of flame, right? For the most part, it pretty much gone through the town of Paradise when we arrived, and there was just a, a lot of businesses that were on fire. And uh, 
we just you know we started it was a it was a search and destroy mission find the buildings that are salvageable and keep them from burning there was one building that was, had just started there was a a bunch of shrubs they were those uh, little cypress trees and uh, the juniper bushes out front and they were flaring up really good and putting fire impingement on the wall of the building mm-hmm. and uh, um, it was a, a, a wood building and so we pulled up we started to extinguish that we did a quick 360 around the building there was fire everywhere and uh, I turn around and the bushes are on fire again and we extinguished the bushes and we're uh, stretching hose lines out and we're trying to put fire out here and there I look up uh, and the roof of the building's on fire. Sparks flying through the street, um, coming down through the street like um, like nothing I've ever seen before. It was just a wall of sparks uh, coming down, um, being blown by the wind, and they're landing everywhere. And and everywhere that a, that the sparks are landing, you know, things are catching on fire. And I, I was watching green bushes. Uh, burn. So when you're pointing your water source towards a tree or a bush, what is the target? Where do you, what's the, what's the theory? Do you shoot water over the top or do you shoot at the base of the fire, like at the root of the tree or the root of the bush? Or how do you attack a vegetation? What's, where, where do you place the water? Well, uh, you know, basic firefighting skills, we always tell people um, to include uh, using a fire extinguisher, always go for the base of the fire. Mm-hmm. Um, put put the water at the base of the fire. You do the most good with your water or your extinguisher at the base of the fire, and then you sweep uh, back and forth um, and, and put fire out. Putting okay. water, you know, you see a lot of people, they put water up over the roof of a, of a burning structure. That's wasted water. And you had to remember, too, with the winds, um, they're pushing that water away from the, uh, from, from the fire, and the fire is absorbing um, a lot of that water, turning it to steam, which is now evaporating. So um, probably about... 30 to 40 percent of our water that we put out is evaporated before it even hits the uh the wow, base of the that's water a lot. Um, I had no due, idea. due to the fire and and the uh um environmental uh, temperatures so if jan's head catches on fire because like she's like telling a fib or something so i, I would just shoot at the at her feet first and then sweep and go back and forth till I... <laughs> yeah. yeah always go go for the feet and work your way up you know <laughs> Well, you know how you know she's small enough that you'd probably tumble her across the field a couple of times. <laughs> All right, so just before this fire was the car fire up in Reading, um, same year. That's right. And so yep. my friends Lauren and um, um, her husband up in Old Town Shasta was um, ground zero of that fire. It was just right. It was on Highway 299 just up by Whiskey Town Lake when Old Town Shasta is like right down the street. From Whiskey there. Town's burned down a couple of times. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, and- the initial, the initial uh, uh, start of the fire was right up there on Highway 299, right where the turnoff is that goes into French Gulch. Right, that car, that, that's the car powerhouse. It's so funny because it was literally started by a vehicle, but then the, people think that's why it got the name. But no, it's C A R R because there's the car powerhouse is up there, and it was near that turnoff there. And Correct. Yep. yeah, and so um, anyway, Lauren and um, Tim got you know evacuated out of their house at two o'clock in the morning, and then they were like nomads trying to figure it out. They tried to go down to Redding, and Redding was just on fire, and embers falling in Redding, and they, they had no place to go. So they ended up at my house, 
And at this point, they were just seeing what was on the news and little old town Shasta was just on fire. I mean, everything in that town was on fire. So they didn't think they were going to have a house. So I, I sent Chris a text. I go, I, I know you're a little busy right now, but um, if you happen to get a get up to old town Shasta, <laughs> you check on this address, you know, and I didn't hear from him for a day. And then all of a sudden, boom, I get a text. And, and we were, they were so frantic. They were about ready to call the sheriff's department. They were trying to get a hold of, you know, news anchors because they were like the only people available to get up you know they're allowed to get up there because they closed the roads and so anyway chris's crew got up there and he took a picture of their house and it was still standing that's such now a comfort and their little their little <laughs> their little shed thing in the back little little 1800s cabin had caught had started to catch on fire but the they were, they happened to live right next door to the fire department the little the little fire department in old shasta so those guys stayed around and they were able to put out that shed and if they had not put out the shed they were told they would have taken out lauren's house and the fire department that that little yeah, shed yeah. was catching and so they had to put out that shed because the fire department was in danger of burning down as well as Lauren's house. So it was win-win for them. It was a win-win <laughs> for them. But I tell you what, there's really not much left in that town except for their house, the fire department and a couple other houses. So what is town that, is that? Shasta? Old Town Shasta. It's Old Shasta. Mm. So if you're going Shasta. toward Yeah, if you're going towards Whiskey Town Lake, it's this little old historic town and there's all these ruins and it's a state part of it's like a state park right now and but yeah, and the oldest uh, the oldest Masonic lodge in the state of California is right there in Old Shasta. So you so you got called out on that fire. I did, and you know, again, I uh, heard the initial attack or the not the initial attack, the initial dispatch, um, and then heard report on conditions when they got there, and uh, you know, I didn't think anything of it. It's just a you know typical you know wildfire, and uh, but boy, it, it it started to rapidly grow. And I just happened to be up at the fire station. It's up at the top of the hill. I drove up to the top of the hill, and I could look right down the runway um, of our private uh, airport. And there was this monster column, and and it, it had an ice cap on it. And I looked at that thing, and I went, holy cow. And that was the car fire that was kind of taken off. And so, again, I... Uh, I uh, got on the phone really fast and I called the other county chiefs. I said, you better get your, get your engines together and get ready to roll because we're going to this thing. And, uh, it was, um, it was that, uh, that evening that, uh, that we were dispatched and off to the, uh, camp, after, off to the car fire we went and we found ourselves in, uh, downtown French Gulch. Mm-hmm. And doing structure protection in French Gulch, the fire had already gone through. The fire was well established up on the ridge line. French Gulch is not uh, new to fire. They they damn near burned the entire town down back in the I think it was the uh, early 90s. A fire went went through that canyon and and uh, tried to burn up the entire town. So anyway, uh, we we were in there. We spent uh, 24 hours in there in French Gulch. We left, we went on um, our 24 hours off um, down to the um, Anderson staging area. That was the fairgrounds where we went. And then from there we went to a hotel and we spent the night in the hotel, got rested up the next morning. Um, boy, a lot of chitter chatter on, uh, on the radio and it didn't sound good. And as we pulled into Anderson fairgrounds to get our morning briefing, um, there was strike teams that were leaving uh, red lights and siren heading out, and it wasn't long before we were behind them. 
and we were heading out. And when I got up there to uh, Buena Ventura and Highway 299, uh, I was just amazed at how far that fire had gone. It went from basically the hills above French Gulch all the way down to darn near the city of Reading um, uh, boundary lines there, uh, the city limits on 299. Yeah, that's a distance, and too. That's... We were immediately um, assigned to uh, Old Shasta, and we went into the fire hadn't been it hadn't come into old chasta as of yet um and we uh we went up to uh whiskey town lake and uh we were um doing some perimeter controls the mop up um and and, and my crew was uh, given an assignment to go all the way around to the back side of whiskey town lake to brandy creek and we were supposed to find a couple structures back there, and we were going to do structure uh, preparation work, do some chainsaw work, and cut all the brush. And I thought to myself, what a waste of time, what a waste of resources. The fire is nowhere near here, nor is it ever going to come over here, uh, you know. And I, and I kind of, um, the project was beyond my capabilities. So, Chris, let me ask you a question real quick, Chris. So, who's the? I mean, how many command posts are there in a big fire like that? Is there one, or there's several different? Uh, is there one dude calling the shots, or is it is it several different command posts? If it's a huge fire, multi county, one, one command post, and there's one incident commander, and then. Um, it goes from there. There's a structure that uh, command structure that works. Everybody works for the IC. The IC is in the command post, and uh, and the command post was the Shasta District Fairgrounds. Okay, so who picks the incident commander in that in those? It depends on the jurisdiction. Um, usually, uh, it's either going to be a state or a federal incident commander, and then if there's other jurisdictional uh, boundaries involved, then they do unified command and they'll take um, the agency um, that is being affected. So there could be CAL FIRE, Forest Service, uh, Bureau of um, Indian Affairs, uh, BLM, um, and then, you know, the, the, the private stakeholders as well. But, like, let's say CR Pacific is involved, then they will send an agency rep um, there. They won't be part of the command structure, but they'll send an agency rep they work directly for the liaison officer, and the liaison officer is um, in direct contact so, with the So you don't have to answer this, but I'm just because, you know, I'm a woman and we like to gossip and be catty, but um, if, what agency, is there a, is there a reoccurring, because I know when I was police officer, you know, I, I understand the incident command structure and all that, and there's, but there's always two agencies that bicker back and forth or have issues um it that would seems be cal like, fire and the forest service is that what it is the u.s force which is federal and then the cal fire which yeah. is state they have a little different i don't know christy agree with me they have a little different um they philosophy. have a little different uh, philosophy you know, they certainly have had their you know riffs and you know they every, each agency kind of does it a little differently all in all i think they get along pretty well but you know they do do things differently so we were working the water truck you know we'd he'd roll alex would roll up to you know an incident and he'd you know forest service like if it's a forest service fire those guys are really cool laid back you know it and you know yeah you go over here get your water i mean alex would go to the briefings and it was just this really kind of cool atmosphere 
And then he rolls up to a Cal Fire fire. And these guys are Nazis, man. They're all over his truck, like Lance looking at everything, like <laughs> looking at, I mean, everything, picking his truck apart like you wouldn't believe. And just, just kind of jerks. I mean, he just, it was a whole different ball of wax. And so who's, fire. who, um, what would you say, what would be your opinion about the overall cause? I know that, you know, people say climate change and the winds are really bad and everything like that. And then, and there's a lot of fuel, but is there one in, in your mind, is there one factor that say California did not do everyone complains that, you know, Hey, um, people are not, um, the forestry and in, forest industry has been, you know, uh, hobbled and they can't do clear cutting and they can't, is there one factor you think is really, attributed to this disaster we have so much fuel right now um is there an agency that just dropped the ball in your opinion about this or is it just the the laws that are on the books about i'll tell you the one i'll tell you the one factor that is the biggest contributing factor to uh to fires and there's nothing anybody can do about it other than predict it and that's weather Mm. Uh, you know, everybody's kind of doing their part. They're trying their best to do their part. Some people are probably less active at doing their part than others. But the one contributing factor that we have no control over that's going to dictate what the fire does and where the fire goes, it's weather. And do you think that the weather has gotten worse? Um, I'll tell you, you know, in the last uh, uh, five to eight years, um, I've seen more large uh, fires than I ever have in my uh, 45-year career in, in being in the fire service. Well, I don't know, man. We, Denise and I have both been affected by fire at our ranches, and Denise had was evacuated out of her place for, what, a week? Yeah. Uh, during the, what, what was the name of that fire? Cascade. Yeah. Uh, named after Cascade Lane is about maybe four miles yeah, from where I am that burned up a bunch at. of houses. How many houses did that burn up? Oh, my God. Too many. It was weird because it wasn't was... like a wall of fire. That's why I was asking you. It was sparked. It flew. The sparks flew for miles of 65-mile-an-hour winds. Like, for instance, across the street, one house that these poor people were building that was brand new burned that. The tweaker trailer next to it didn't burn. Then the house next of to course. that burned. It was like a, it was like a pick and choose. Burn. Pick and choose, yeah. Yeah, they're like cockroaches. They never die. No. They just multiply. But anyway, yeah, no, that, so that's why I was wondering about that wall of fire thing. But um, yeah, this Sunday, I think it's this Sunday, it's called Return to Paradise. I, can't, I don't know who did the documentary, but it's about the fire. I, I guess that's going to land on the one-year anniversary, okay. which makes sense. So you might want to yeah, try to check yeah, that out. The 8th, the 8th of November is the uh, one-year anniversary. Yeah. 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 Well, it's I, amazing uh, that one year has already uh, gone by. Thanks for being part of our little dog and pony show thanks for the input i enjoyed it okay so uh that was a long episode and we're gonna wrap it up and we'll see you next time what are we gonna talk about next time we're gonna talk to your friend mariel yeah i'll try to get mariel on the phone she's living in idaho now and uh talk about horsey stuff and um so anyway horsey stuff she's retired chp officer so Mm -hmm. she knows about uh, pulling trailers and well she was commercial officer too at the end and she and uh, before that she was uh, in the mounted um, unit of this highway patrol which started with state police at the capitol park so all right cool all right well that wraps up another episode of ranch Ranch girl Girl Rants. rants